0: literary critic and philosopher, George Steiner, once said that he thought music could actually be a proof for the existence of God. I'm not really sure about that um, but I am persuaded that music takes us to places where words alone can't go. So we benefit from the gifts of these musicians week by week but in particular I want to thank them today for playing and singing us into resurrection faith. As these uh, warmer days compete with chillier ones and hues of green paint the brown hills, there are at least two celebrations converging at the same time, the return of spring and the resurrection of Jesus. So we have Easter bunnies and jelly beans, and eggs made of chocolate, and eggs made of marshmallow and marzipan, and eggs made of, well, egg. (laughs) (laughs) And all of these are symbols of fertility. As you know, it's about the return of spring. But we also have flowering crosses, trumpeting lilies. We have gleaming white pyramids. We have baptism, a dramatic enactment of the dying and rising of Jesus and the dying and rising of us with Jesus. For countless millennia, people have gathered at dawn to give thanks for the sun, which radiates the power of light and life into the dormant earth. For two millennia of those many millennia, Christians have likewise gathered together at sunrise, often in a graveyard, to praise God for the great power which raised Jesus from the tomb and gave to all of us the hope of eternal life. Two celebrations at once. The return of spring. The resurrection of Jesus. Hollow chocolate rabbits in a basket with faux green grass and an empty tomb in a garden with real tears and laughter, little girls in gleaming new white dresses, and fearsome tender angels shining like the sun, young boys in fresh pastel suits and bright, bold promises which sustain us in drab and barren times. Two celebrations: the return of spring and the resurrection of Jesus. Easter egg hunts and the search for hope. Peter Cottontail and Simon Peter, <laughs> Peeps and the Apostles. Sounds like a Motown group, doesn't it? Peeps, <laughs> and the Apostles. We have a long-standing, deeply ingrained yearning for life to spring up in the place of barrenness. It's a yearning apparently ingrained in the earth itself. And we also have this profound need, this aching desire to know that love is stronger than death and that death is not the end of our pilgrimage. We need the hope this day provides because it takes hope to live. Over the last several years, I've learned from the wisdom of Teresa of Avila, the 16th century Carmelite nun who could not abide artificial seriousness, cheap pessimism, and easy cynicism. I mentioned her to you a few weeks ago when I said that she had prayed a prayer once, Oh, Lord, deliver us from sour-faced saints. Well, one day, Teresa was traveling to one of her convents, and she got knocked off her donkey into the mud. She injured her leg, and she said to God, Lord, you couldn't have picked a worse time for this to happen. Why did you let this happen? And the response she heard to her prayer was, Well, that's how I treat my friends. (laughs) And Teresa answered, And that, dear Lord, is why you have so few of them. (laughs) To, To stay in conversation with God when hard things happen. To stay in conversation with God, not just when we're stuck in the mud but stuck in the mire and muck of life. To stay engaged in life, not just when a limb is broken, but when our hearts are broken, to stay in conversation with God and to stay energetically engaged in life, we have to have hope. We have to believe that there is some kind of tomorrow (coughs) beyond today. And the resurrection calls us to hope. On that Sunday after Jesus died, Mary Magdalene was awake before dawn. She hadn't slept much. She kept replaying in her mind the horrible suffering Jesus had endured. Her heart hurt more than she knew it could hurt. In the shadows, before the rising sun chased away the shadows, she made her weary way to the cemetery. I think she must have hoped that standing close to Jesus' grave would make him feel nearer to her. Once there, she found the large stone which had sealed his grave rolled away. It's important to notice, though, that she didn't think resurrection Instead, she feared that Jesus' enemies had stolen his body and burned it or fed it to the dogs which prowled the city dump. Not knowing what to do, not knowing how to feel other than afraid, she ran to Simon Peter and the beloved disciple and said to them, They've taken away the Lord and we do not know where they have laid him. These two friends of Jesus raced to the cemetery and they found inside the linen cloths, inside the tomb, the linen cloth, which had wrapped Jesus' bloodied body. And when the beloved disciple, when John saw the empty tomb and the discarded grave clothes, he believed that resurrection had happened, that Jesus had been raised from the dead, but no one else did. Not Simon Peter. Not Mary Magdalene. In fact, I'm convinced that not many people believe the Easter good news simply because we have witnesses who tell us that the tomb was empty. Instead, like Mary Magdalene, who didn't believe until Jesus called her name. We don't see Jesus. We don't have resurrection hope until we hear him calling our name. After Peter and John had gone back to their homes, Mary stayed at the tomb weeping. Her broken heart was breaking further And in the cemetery, she bumped into a gardener. It was Jesus, but she didn't know it was Jesus. And I wonder how many times in the course of our days, we bump into Jesus and don't know that it's Jesus. He asked her, "A Woman, why are you crying? Whom are you looking for? And she said to this man, she thought to be simply a gardener, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me what you have done with him, where you've laid him, and I will take him away and take care of him, take care of his body. And then Jesus spoke her name. He said that word which belonged to her. He said, Mary. Mary. And his speaking her name did what discarded grave clothes and an empty tomb could never do for her. Her name on his lips opened her eyes and opened her heart. When he called her name, the tears gave way to laughter. The mourning gave way to Alleluia. Bleak Sunday of grief gave way to bright Easter of hope. And then, I love this, she threw her arms around Jesus and said, Teacher, my dear teacher. And she didn't want to let him go. And I can understand why she didn't want to let him go, can't you? When your son comes home from the battlefield or your daughter awakens from a coma or a long-lost friend re-enters your life. And you throw your arms around each other. You want to hold on, don't you? You don't ever want them to get out of your sight again. She embraced Jesus. He embraced her. And she didn't want to let go. And I understand. Jesus said to her, Mary, you can't hold on to me. So go now and tell my brothers what you've experienced. Tell them that I'm ascending to my father and their father, to my God and your God. But Mary wanted things to be the way they had always been, familiar, comfortable. So she held on for dear life, her dear old life. And some of us are like Mary, We're clinging too tightly, friends. We're clinging too tightly to the experiences we've already had with Jesus. We're holding on too tenaciously to what has already been. Jesus said, I'm going ahead of you to the Father. I'm going ahead of you. Jesus is not back there. He is present and He is future. He's here and now with us and He's going ahead of us to welcome us. Wherever you go in your life, when you get there, He is already there to welcome you into the next experience of your life, your next experience with Him. Don't insist on what was Or on what might have been. Because Jesus is on the loose. And He will meet you now and then. Here and there. In the present. And in the future. In fact, I think He wants to give us the hope that comes from anticipating that He will take us to where we haven't yet been to unexplored regions of our hearts and spirits. He wants to make it possible for us to do the hard but crucial things we've not been able to do. He wants to give us the courage to release our settled assumptions about the way things are. Assumptions we've based on the way things have been. If the resurrection means anything, it means what you've assumed about how the world is has been overturned. The world is not finally a graveyard. It is finally a theater of resurrection glory. So Mary Magdalene, let Jesus go. And she preached the good news to her friends. And she did this because he called her name. She had an experience with him that caused her to see him and to see the future, to have hope. So I want you to listen now. Slow down your racing mind. Let your anxious heart grow quiet. Linger in stillness. Let yourself do what Mary did on Easter morning before she knew it was Easter. Feel your sadness and weep over it Because soon, I believe, you will hear Him call your name. We're not quite sure how we got to some of the hard places we're in, are we? But we know we're in hard places. And some of us this morning, if we could tell the truth to ourselves and the truth to each other, we would have to say that we're standing in a cemetery of sameness and boredom, a graveyard of hurt and frustration. But if you will listen, you will hear the risen Jesus call your name and call you to life. John Claypool died several years ago of multiple myeloma. And in a sermon he preached, about what he imagined would happen in death. He related one of his dreams. He said, in my dream, it seemed I had died physically. And like many other near-death experiences, I found myself moving through a cool, dark tunnel. And then I came out in what I can only describe as a kindly light. I was accepted, I was embraced, I was welcomed. I didn't see a body, but suddenly a voice spoke my name, John, and said, welcome, welcome. I have some questions to ask you, the voice said. Can you weep for all the pain you've caused others? And you've caused yourself. For the ways you've abused power or neglected power. For the things you've done that you wish you hadn't done. And the things you have left undone that you wish you had done. And then the voice said, let me ask you another thing. Can you laugh? Can you laugh at all the funny stories you've heard? The hilarious things you've witnessed and the good things that have happened? Can you weep? Can you laugh? And then he said he heard a great sense of laughter welling up from the deep of existence itself and from within him, and he felt surrounded by and filled with the laughter of God. And when the laughter died down some, the voice said, I have another question to ask you. Do you want any more of it? this life I want to give you, do you want more of it? And John said, I remember thinking that there's no automatic answer to this question. Because there's the pain of life. And there's the wonder of life. But he said, yes, yes, I do want more of it. And this time, in the dream, John said, I I plunged further and deeper into a great ocean of life. And then John said, I believe this is what Easter can do for us. It tells us that God's love is bigger than anything we've done or failed to do. God's love is bigger than anything we've done or failed to do. That we are given eternal life simply because God wants to give it to us. And all this John experienced because he was vulnerable. Because he was vulnerable. And he heard Jesus call his name John. John. Welcome. Can you hear him? He's calling your name, your name. Welcome. Amen. We sing this hymn of commitment, and I invite you to respond in whatever ways you feel led, to confess faith in Jesus, to join this church which belongs to him. Will you do what you feel led to do?